Ferguson used to say, use the sport, don't let the sport use you. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the, the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time and I spent wrestling, if it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Wrestling Changed My Life podcast. This is your host, Ryan Warner. It's Monday, September 11th. Our guest today is John Heffernan, head coach at St. Ed's, one of the most storied wrestling programs in the country. St. Ed's has won an incredible 11 national titles and 35 Ohio State titles since 1978. Coach Heffernan's been on staff since the early 90s and took over as head coach in 2018. As a wrestler, John was a two-time All-American for Dan Gable at the University of Iowa. His brother Jim Heffernan, NCAA champ, longtime coach at the University of Illinois. Love this podcast and can't wait for you to hear it. Fan of the Week goes to Southpaw2096. Southpaw left a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, subject Lessons on Mindset. The review says this is a fantastic podcast to learn about wrestling both past and present, but also the mindset that champions of the sport have. Really appreciate the review, Southpaw2096, and thanks to everyone who's left an Apple Podcast review. If you're a listener of this podcast and you haven't, Get out your phone, go to Apple Podcasts, leave us a review, let us know what you think. Without further ado, folks, let's give it up for the great John Heffernan. Just a quick pause from one of our sponsors, and we'll be right back to this episode. This episode is brought to you by Cosmatch. I know how it is with wrestling clubs. You're constantly looking for new ways to pay for uniforms, travel expenses, and better training equipment. But fundraising can be a challenge. So don't go at it alone. Running a cause match campaign can help you raise six times more than traditional boring fundraising events. That's money for you to spend so you can show off your new ankle lace. Go to www.causematch.com wrestling to schedule a demo and learn more. That's www.causematch.com wrestling. Let's get to work. Three months from now, you'll be happy you started today. All right, folks, we're here with John Heffernan. Good morning, sir. How are you? Good, how are you? Fantastic. Let's just start at the very beginning. You're a product of the St. Ed's program. You're the head coach of the program, one of the best high school teams in the country, maybe of all time. When did Howard Ferguson first come in your life? Um, Howard Ferguson became a coach at St. Ed's in 75, and 
that was my brother Brian's freshman year in high school. So when 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 Harvard Ferguson started the program, my brother Brian was in his first uh, class as a freshman. And was he coaching like a youth club in the area, or how did he come into that position? Yeah, Harvard Ferguson coached the uh, it was called the West Shore YMCA, and St. Ed's was uh, coming off like an old eleven season, and he went to the athletic director and said, "I think I could, you know, make a good run at this at the high school level." And uh, at that time, we had no idea who Howard Ferguson was. My brother Brian was a basically went to St. Ed to play football um, and wrestled too, but uh, we, that wasn't a reason we went to St. Ed's. And so, were you wrestling in that West Shore YMCA program, or you guys weren't no, in that? We wrestled in the CYO, which was a little different. You know, we, we went to Catholic grade schools, and back in the uh, back at that time, there was probably thirty five or 40 CYO teams in the area. So we had a pretty good little uh, Catholic youth league. How many? So I my my uh, school, St. Richard's. But there was like 35, 40, was it elementary schools that had? Uh... teams, yeah. Yeah. So fifth through eighth grade league. Uh, we had a big city tournament every year. It was, it was a pretty big deal. Wow. So you're coming up um, in a different club and like you don't even know anything about this guy. And you said your brother went there to play football. Just for some context, can you give us a rundown on the brothers and where you fit in? Because we've had a gym on before, but for folks right. who maybe aren't familiar with the family tree. There's nine of us total. Um, I'm the exact middle. There's four older, four younger. Uh, Brian's the oldest. I have two sisters, Laura and Beth. My brother, Jim, comes after that. I'm two years younger than Jim. Then I have uh, uh, a younger brother uh, who passed away. And then I have... Uh, Mary Ellen, my sister, and I have twin brothers at uh, both coach wrestling in Chicago, younger kids. One's at Marist and one's at out the Paul Pratt. Okay, yeah. There's a, there's Heffernan's everywhere in the wrestling world, and it sounds like your brother Brian got the party started. He's a freshman. He goes to St. Ed's. <clears throat> now, when, when this is all going on, how old are you? Are you, like, remembering his first year's wrestling at St. Ed's, or are you quite a bit younger? Or? I was, uh... Probably eight or nine when he went to St. Ed's. So okay. I remember a little bit of it. So when did you start wrestling? Probably about that that time. My brother Brian started only because uh, he was a big kid, and the wrestling coach at our at our grade school needed a heavyweight, so he went to football practice and found the biggest kid and asked him to wrestle. <laughs> and uh, at that point, my dad said, you can wrestle, but you got to take my brother, which was Jim, with him. So that's when Jim started wrestling, and I started wrestling a couple years after that. Wow. And then, man, it's like how many years later still at it? You know, it's like yeah, right. crazy, the impact. And when you think about that Cleveland scene, I mean, 30, you know, 35, 40 clubs, there must have been some hammers coming out of that. So who who are some of the guys in the Cleveland area that you wrestled with or looked up to at that time? Well, my grade school team, Joe McFarlane was on our team. Uh, we had Joe McFarlane, my brother, Jim, you know, McFarlane's had a bunch of brothers. <laughs> That's your grade school team. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God! Of course, the a long Jim time. Mason wrestled for another grade school. He was an All-American at Michigan State. Um, there was, you know, and I looked up to the guys that wrestled St. Ed's when I was old enough to start wrestling, and you know, St. Ed's got good. That's that's the guys I wrote up to. Some like Tim Welch was the first guy. We had a guy named Tom Kuzno, who ended up being the first player drafted in the NFL. Was our heavyweight when Brian was a freshman. Now was a heavyweight. Okay. Um, so I remember guys like that when I was little. What about the great Alan Freed? Was he he's quite a bit younger than you then coming after you? Alan Freed was a uh, senior in high school when I was a senior in college. 
Oh, wow. Okay. So I'm starting to put the pieces together here. So that's interesting because, you know, him and Brands had a great rivalry during right. that time and had some great matches. And yeah, I'm afraid actually, uh, you know, he took a recruiting trip to Iowa and I was his host, you know, and Gable had the Brands brothers and the Steiner brothers at the time. And it just, you know, I think he wanted to recruit Freed, but he was loyal to the guys he had. So were the Brands and Steiners already at Iowa on that trip? Uh, the brands were were already wrestling, and the Steiners were red shirts. Yeah, because Freed, who's been on this podcast numerous times and has participated in a couple of documentaries we've done, you know, he talks about, and maybe it's not even him. Other people have told me, but like at a certain Fargo bracket, he might have like teched the brands and then teched the Steiners in like the same tournament. So like these guys knew who he was potentially. Oh yeah, we all knew. You know, he was the first four time junior national champion. Alan, everyone knew who Alan Freed was, and. The one year we had the bracket hanging up in our wrestling room. He he beat both brands in the, in the tournament. I think he was a sophomore. You got the bracket? Oh yeah, we got the bracket in our wrestling room. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. And and what folks don't realize now is that there wasn't the cadet division for a long time. Yeah, he was the first four-time junior national champ at, at the junior level. That's so one of four. Incredible. And, you know, some of the other names that have come through the St. Ed's program is I was looking at the Hall of Fame this morning, the Howard Ferguson Hall of Fame. What a list. I mean, you and your brothers, uh, Greg Alinsky, which that's a name where I know about it. And it, it's only recently, though, like how how good he was. And like, man, he was Penn somebody... State's first four time All-American. Greg Alinsky was. There you go. I mean, unbelievable. And then guys even more, uh, you know, when I was in middle school, I was watching guys like Ryan Bertine, you know, Andy Rovat, who's a friend of the show. And, you know, it's just an incredible tradition. And, you know, you're the you're the head coach now. You are, you've been there since 91. Um, and we're going to talk about your wrestling career. But I want to hear about, you know, after you graduated, were you coaching at Iowa along with Gable for those two years? Or where did you go? I coached at uh, Miami of Ohio for a year. And okay. Back. Um, and then I went back to Iowa and, and I, I was part of the Hawkeye wrestling club a little bit. And, uh, I coached at a high school, local high school. Okay. And, uh, I just decided to come back to Cleveland. How close were you to going to Oregon with Jim and Mark Johnson? Was that ever a thought for you? It was never a thought really. It wasn't. Isn't it crazy? Some of their guys they pulled in. Yeah, they were good. Like she's always gutches. And I mean, the year after they left, they, they get a trophy and that's, you know, we're talking Oregon state here. So right. freaking crazy. Um, So you get, you get back to, uh, you know, Ohio area, 1991, you come on staff at St. Ed's and you've been there ever since at right. this time is Howard Ferguson still coaching. No, Howard Ferguson died in 1980. Okay. And that was um, like a sudden heart attack kind of thing, right? It was, it was, yeah, he was a, yeah, it was in our October, right before the season started. So uh, when he died, a bunch of the former wrestlers got together and uh, had a meeting, and they gave the job to a guy named Greg Urbis, who uh, was the freshman coach, basically. And uh, they just kind of wanted to keep the, the program in, in stable hands. And so, um, yeah, he, and actually at that point, Dave Rowan came in and coached with Urbis too. So, okay. And then I went back in 91. I've been there since. And that was a whole new wave during that era because then the the foe isn't North Allegheny, it's it's the guys in state and um you know that that incredible team over at Walsh and and you were right there through the thick of all those battles. Oh yeah. I mean 
you know, the Walsh teams in the early 90s were, were legendary. Matter of fact, Ben Hada, who wrestled for us, is doing a documentary on, on the Ed's Walsh rivalry, which is going to be released pretty soon. You know, we've had a lot of teams come, you know, between Walsh and, and uh, you know, Perrysburg right now and Wadsworth and Mass and Perry. So there's a lot of really good teams that, that keep coming at us, but we just kind of keep trying to be. And, and is the streak still intact, the All-American streak? No. The streak ended um, 2020, I believe. And then we took another year up with COVID, but then Bryce Andonian started hopefully a new streak uh, two years ago. So we got a new streak started. That guy's a lot of fun to watch. Man, yeah. I didn't know he was a St. Ed's guy. Oh, yeah. Wow. And like in some of the other names, folks, the Palmer brothers, I mean, those kids, You, if you saw them at a Oh no! Is my uh my thing going still? Okay, um, if you saw the Palmers at a tournament back in my day at Tulsa or something, you were in for some trouble. I mean, yeah. what was it like coaching those guys? They were uh, they're really good on top. Their dad was a little crazy. That's um, what I remember. I like him, but he, he, he's a little crazy. Um, you know, everyone's different. He, think about his dad. You know, he would tell you what he thought, and he he held nothing back. So I kind of like that about him, really. Now, some of these other parents, they, they, they don't, they don't, they say crazy. But Dwayne would tell you whatever, whatever he was feeling, he would tell you. <laughs> Man, I can't even imagine some of the some of the parents you've dealt with in your day. I mean, that's a, <laughs> that's another level. Um, yeah, that's, that's a different part of a high school job. It's 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 not fun sometimes. Has that part of it changed over the years? Uh, not really. No, I think you know. Parents now are more kids are more special. Like they try to specialize their kids more, and they're more involved. But parents always wanted the best for their kids, so it hasn't changed a whole bunch. Yeah. Now, when you go back to uh to your era growing up, you know you start wrestling. Your brother's wrestling at St. Ed's. When did you start specializing specializing in wrestling full time? Well, I played. You know, growing up, I played baseball, football. Um, I quit playing football after my junior year in high school. Actually, my junior year in high school, because I dislocated my elbow wrestling the summer, and then I missed about half the football season. I went out for the other half and really didn't play, so I, I quit playing football after my junior year. So I just specialized in wrestling after that year. Okay. And once you get in the St. Ed's program, talk to us about that, like the culture of that program, like during that 80s and, and you know late 70s time period. It was a you know, Howard Ferguson was, we did the same thing every day for practice. It never changed, you know, and I'm not saying it's good or bad, but it never changed. But, you know, when I, when I was a sophomore, I used to have to wrestle my brother, Jim, Greg Alinsky, this kid named John Savetic, who was a state champ, Joel Sylvester, all these guys were on my weight. I didn't start as a sophomore. The four guys that any weight I could have went were all state champs and all pretty good wrestlers too. So <laughs> I would just get my brain in every day for, you know, for two years, basically, until I was a junior finally try to beat somebody in practice. So Silvestro was, was on that team. Yes. Yeah, he was he was my brother Jim's age, so the 82 class. Okay. And so the same thing every day. What was it? Take us through the routine. We would drill uh, for about 45 minutes to an hour. He had this thing called the Big 66, which was, uh, we would do six single legs, six high crotches, six double legs. We do it on both sides of the body. We do snap. We do a go behinds. Mostly it was on our feet, and then we would drill stand ups. We weren't we weren't allowed to do certain things. Uh, we couldn't 
on top. The only thing we could do on top was a spiral ride. So we drilled a spiral ride. After we would drill for 45 minutes to an hour, we'd take a break and then we'd wrestle six, six minute partners. And then we'd run after practice. And it never changed. If we wrestled a match, he would cut it in half. That's a match match day. <laughs> that is uh that's it. I mean, it kind of reminds me of the Tommy Chesbro era because he was very uh very methodical and very system oriented like that, you know, and even with at the division one level at Oklahoma state, he was doing that kind of stuff. But at the high school level, there's certainly a lot of merits to it. Um, I think though, you know, that you fall into the trap of kind of lolling through it, right. If you know what's coming and you've done the same thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's uh, when I went to college, that's what I liked about practice is we did something different every day and, and Gable never, told you what you're going to do because he always said that if you knew what you're going to do, you're going to kind of hold it back to for the next thing. So, right. You can so pace yourself when you do what's coming. And so you have this, the routine and it was the, the six high crotches, the six singles, six doubles, the snap downs with any other offensive techniques you guys worked. No, we were very, very basic. What we did we're good at it. And, and, you know, we were like robots. Everybody did the same thing. But yeah. uh, it worked. It was a system that worked. You know, it it hurt me a little. A lot of guys when they went to college because we were, you know, when we got to college, we weren't very good on the mat because we didn't wrestle very much in the mat in high school. Um, we were really good on our feet. You know, basic defense and basic basic shots. That's all we were. We were t- and as you're as you're going through Ohio during that era, are there any teams challenging you within the state, or is or is it mostly kind of outsiders that are coming in? Um, well, in 82, uh, 81, Midwest City, Oklahoma beat us. And uh, they beat us pretty good. And then the next year, Ferguson Ferguson was uh, also owned his own business. He, he had some money. So he bought Oklahoma, bought the Midwest City team back in 82, and uh, we beat him pretty good. He flew 80, them out. He brought them out there on his own dime. I think they – yeah, he, I don't think he flew them, but they, I think they drove a bus, but I think he paid for it, yeah. <laughs> and he paid for the lodging too. What was the atmosphere like in that duel? Oh, that was crazy. It was it was uh, it was a sold out gym. You know, they put ro- ropes around the mat, and, and there was people sitting right, right up to the ropes. And you know, one match in particular, Greg Linsky wrestled named John Levilette, who had pinned him the year before, and was a, a big stud from Oklahoma. And and uh, Linsky ended up beating him like eight to seven or nine to eight. It was a great match, and just it was a, it was a you know, my brother Jim actually they had a kid named Tony Wright who won junior nationals. My brother Jim actually dropped away to wrestle him and beat him. So it was a pretty, pretty cool experience. Wow. That's amazing. So what was, and I, I've had people tell me this before, whether it's hot or freed, what was Howard Ferguson's business? Like how did he become wealthy? So he, he was an accountant. Uh, so he was a CPA as, as a trade, but he started uh, buying apartment buildings and converting them to condominiums. And uh, he bought a lot of buildings in the area and converted them to condominiums and real estate that's how he made his money that's right okay and didn't he have like a like a gym at his house too like guys could come and work out all year yeah, so in his basement he had a uh he had a weight room and it was open to anybody he would leave it open so not just saying that it's kids everybody in the city of cleveland that wanted to come could knew where it was and they would come and uh there was a wet resting room probably you know wasn't super big but it was big enough and and they had a, a pretty nice weight room down there so it was open maybe from we keep it open two to eight o'clock or two to nine o'clock every day. And just people would come in and out all, all day and work out. Wow. 
what a that's just amazing that kind of culture and the the energy around Cleveland at that time must have been crazy. And yeah, so, you 80, know, go ahead. No, go, go ahead. No, I want to know what you were about to say. I said, you know, some of the workouts we had in the basement in the summertime, we get kids from all over the area to come in. It was it was pretty cool, you know. And, and Ferg would bring college coaches in and and different guys from colleges and. You know, I remember, shoot, when I was a junior in high school, I remember wrestling Mike Deanna a lot down in the basement. He would come back, and, you know, it was pretty, it was a pretty cool experience. And were any college coaches catching on to what this guy was doing and starting to become close to him? Like, was Gable close with Ferguson? Uh, I don't know if he was close to him, but, you know, I think he respected what he did. I think, mm-hmm. all the, you know, a lot of the college coaches, we just started um, – we just started – our, guy, our kids just started, you know, Jim Mason started it, basically, Mike Linsky, some of the older guys. Jeff Coles was our first All-American in 1980. So we had just started putting guys in college. So it was, he was coming known to the college coaches, yeah. Got it. And so 82 is the – you guys beat beat the Oklahoma team. And then when does North Allegheny start coming into the picture? North Allegheny was uh, – I was in college. So it was probably – it was Freed's junior and senior year right around that time. So probably 80 – 88, 89, somewhere in there. Did you guys have any, they had some crazy teams, right? I mean, I I just had on uh, two guys from that era, uh, Mark Engel and then uh, Teague Moore, who went to North Allegheny. Obviously, his brother was a a legend for them. Um, So when your era, like when you were a junior and senior, were you guys battling any teams or did you just roll through everyone? Um, Pretty good. North Kent, who was probably the second best team in Ohio, but we kind of rolled through everybody back then. Um, when I was a senior, our team was pretty good. And you won a state title for them as a junior or senior? Senior. Yeah. Junior through- state qualifier, and uh, it was the old carry-through system. I got beat in the quarters, real close match. My guy got hurt, defaulted in the semi, so I got knocked out of the tournament. Brutal. Yeah, Illinois was like that for a long time. How many divisions were in Ohio back then? Three. And it's been three the whole time? Yep. Okay. And you, I assume St. Ed's is the big biggest division or? Division, correct. Yes. Okay. And so your senior year, you finally, you, you win the state title. Talk us through that experience and what memories you have of that tournament, kind of what you were feeling going into it, what it was like to win it. Well, I had uh, earlier in the year, in January, January 24th, actually, I remember the day, I had uh, I hurt my knee. In a, in, so uh, I, I had my knee scoped. And uh, so... The doctor was like exploratory surgery. Went, went sure what was happening. There was some cartilage and got cartilage removed. So I was out for a month prior to our sectional tournament, which started about February 24th, 25th. So um, I came back and just, I was, I was pretty confident I was going to do well. And you know, I had pretty good, pretty good run through the, through the state series. It's crazy. You remember the date of the, of the, of the scoping. Yeah. I, I don't know <laughs> why, but I remember the date. Yeah. And so what what did they do? Did they they kind of flay you open and check some stuff out, or because God knows what they were doing back then? Yeah, see, that was kind of new too, and uh, it was 1984, so it wasn't like it was, you know, practice a whole lot back then. But I hurt my knee in practice, and I went to the doctor, and he's like, "Well, you know, you got two options: one just to sit out the rest of the year, or two we could go in and look at it and see what happens." And you know, I think it's this, but you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. And so he did, and, and uh, everything worked out for the best. And at that point, just based on the on the time difference, Jim was already at Iowa, correct? Jim was already at Iowa, correct. 
so what are your thoughts on where you're going to go? Do you know for sure you're going to Iowa? You know, in the back of my mind, I always want to go to Iowa. Um, really, my recruiting, my dad used to get upset with me because, you know, I had a couple of recruiting trip plans or, or trip offers like Arizona State and LSU had a program back then. And these guys offered recruiting trips. And my dad was like, you got to go just to check it out. You know, you're never going to go get a chance to go somewhere like that for free again. So, but I didn't go. I knew I was going to go to Iowa. I visited Penn State and Iowa, the only two places I visited. But, you know, I always wanted to wrestle for Gable and, and wrestle at Iowa. And that's where I ended up. And so talk, talk to us about that, that transition. When you get out there, what's your first impression of the program? Well, I hurt my knee again at junior nationals, but I tore it up pretty good. So I had, I had a reconstructive surgery that summer. And so I couldn't wrestle my first 12 months at Iowa. So I did a lot of, I was in a cast for probably the first six weeks I was there. Um, so I did a lot of watching, um, lifting with Mark Johnson. Mark Johnson would pick me up at the door at <laughs> 5.30 and I'd have to live with them, which sucked. Being a high school freshman, and not being able to wrestle, but Mark Johnson would still come pick me up, which was cool, which is awesome. You know, I could, I could do stuff like that, but I couldn't, I just couldn't step on the mat, but it was interesting watching how Gable operated compared to Ferguson. They're both great in their own ways. And, um, you know, Gable is so much different than Ferguson. But obviously, they were both successful, very successful. Outside of the practices being structured and not structured, how were they different? Ferguson treated everybody the same no matter what. Gable, you know, there were some guys that he just – Gable was really good at reading people and, and, and you know – doing things that certain people needed to be done and not done. Like you would give some people slack and some people not slack. Um, you know, Ferguson, everything was excellent, you know, black and white, you either do this or you don't. And then Gable was like, well, you know, you can do this, but you better do, you know, do that. Some guys, there was a guy, Marty Kistler, just refused to do morning workouts, just wouldn't do them. <laughs> you know, and he would come at night and work out and he ended up being pretty successful. Gable let it go. There's there's legendary stories of I don't know if it was Ed or Lou Banick, but guys would go a season without seeing him at the normal practice time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's you know guys would work out different. Yeah, you know, we'd have a couple guys who would, you know, do their own thing a little bit, but for the most part, everyone was is doing what we're told. And when you're there, you're you get there must have been so eighty four, eighty five. So we're still in the heyday of the of the work hard, play hard. Who were some of the the Iowa studs, the crowd favorites at that time? Well, when I moved in the dorm, when I was a, my first year, right across me was an Olympic silver medalist, Barry Davis, which probably doesn't happen too often. So <laughs> Barry Davis was on the team at the time. You know, uh, Wayne Goldman. Uh, the 86 wow. team you know, was, was Kevin Dresser, Marty Kistler, Lindley Kistler. Roy Soldier was part of the team, and Penrith was there. Rico Ciparelli. We had some pretty, pretty good characters in the team. And is the story about Roy sleeping in a tent in the front yard of the dorms? Is that true? Roy's probably slept in a tent. He probably slept in a couch. He probably slept everywhere, everywhere in a dorm. Anywhere, you know. Roy's any story here about Roy's is probably true. Put it that way. <laughs> that is just. Uh... And I was laughing earlier because you said Barry Davis. Like he's he's a guy who was known to like love living in the dorms, which I don't know anyone who wants to live in the no, dorms. He was a fifth year senior Olympic silver medalist, and he was living in the dorms with a freshman. <laughs> kind of crazy, but he was he, Barry Davis is the most. He still is the most energetic guy. I mean, he just has the motor and never never quits. And you know, 
it was a great example to see living as a freshman, being a freshman. I lived with my brother Jim, so we were right across the hall and just kind of watching what he did. You know, it was, it was pretty cool. And guys like Randy Lewis, was he was he still around training a lot at that time? Randy Lewis was, yeah. So uh, I got there in 84, right after he won the Olympics. So Randy was on a little, you know, Randy was being Randy. <laughs> yeah, that's the uh, – so, I mean – Oh yeah, of course. So eighty four L A. So we got Banix one, right? Next um, one, yeah. Um, so I mean, there's there's all kinds of Olympic medals floating around the program at that time. Yeah, Eddie Bannock was still there, and then the next year he went to coach there. But I forgot Eddie Bannock was still there. Yeah. Yeah, and that, and of course, that sets up, you know, one of the most epic. I would say four dual series of all time, like the two in I Iowa Iowa State in eighty six, and then the two in uh. Well, two in 86, 87, two in 87, 88. And, and all four of those duels, Iowa and Iowa State, were crazy. And I know Jim Gibbons is doing a documentary on that that's going live yeah. here. And uh, just to make it simple for folks, so 86, Iowa wins the Nationals five in the finals with only eight qualifiers, though. And right. That's six in the finals, five champs. Six in the finals, five champs. Yeah, yeah. Now, is that the year Iowa State – Beat Iowa in a duel for the first time under Gibbons. Yes, um, and that's what the, that documentary is about. It's about the '86 duel right before it was in February. It was right before the NCAA tournament. Um, it was in Ames, and I remember going there to watch. I wasn't. I was a redshirt that year, and I was behind Roy Selger and then the Kissler. So uh, I went there to watch, and, and uh, just kind of was surprised what happened, but. Um, it ended up being a good thing for the guys because we ended up wrestling really well. Man. They ended up wrestling really well at Nationals. Yeah, and but that duel's crazy because of, one, you have Gibbons, who's this, you know, the youngest coach at D1 at the time, or one of the He's youngest. 26 years old. It's crazy. And the Gibbons family, if you're in Western Iowa, is like, is as popular as any name there is at that time. The the wrestling brotherhood, the brothers that wrestled there were all, you know, state champs. You know, I'm sure all of them, all Americans, if not national champs too. Yeah. They're a, they're a great family. And we got a place, my wife's from Iowa. So we have a place in Ankeny, Iowa, which we go to sometimes in the summer. And uh, I'll see Jim Gibbons once in a while. And I have a lot of respect for him for what he does. I think he's great behind and at the college matches, what he does now and what he did, and, uh, you know, talking to him a couple of years ago, realized that he was only 20, 27 years old when he, when he won the NCAA title coaching is, is incredible. Incredible. I mean, it's, it really is. And if you're a Cyclone fan, you're thinking we're about to win five of these. And of course, that's the last time they won was in 87. And, you know, right now they're looking really good. I love what Dresser's doing there. Yeah. Metcalf and all those guys, but that, that duel in 86 though. So you're a redshirt freshman. Um, not in the lineup, and you go to watch. What was there something with the one eighteen pounder not making weight, and they had to forfeit that match, or what happened at one eighteen there with Perry? I think I think Eglin wrestled and got pinned, if I remember right. Maybe he just sucked a bunch before the before yeah. The I think door. he sucked a bunch of weight. And that was a problem. That's why he didn't wrestle at Big Tens. Um, he was returning finals from the year before. That's what I'm thinking of. Big tens he didn't go to. Okay. Yeah, he didn't go to big tens. I think he did, I think he did get pinned against Iowa State, if I remember right. Um, but he did have a problem with, with weight. And I think that's if I remember it's been a long time, but I think that's why he didn't wrestle at Big Ten, because I think he kind of kind of just broke, didn't make weight. 
man, those stores are legendary. Of course, Barry Davis, the donuts, and luckily they found them. Yeah, but, right. uh, and we won't go into that whole duel because that documentary, literally a deep dive on it. I can't wait to, I've seen some previews of it and it looks great. Can't wait for it to go live. I think it's going to be this fall and we're going to have that Jim on. It's going to be a really, really cool thing for wrestling fans to watch. No question. And we're going to have Jim on to talk about it. And you talk about Ben Hodden and the St. Ed's doc. He's another friend of the show. And, um, that's going to be truly amazing. Ben Hodden is a, and his partner are just amazing what they're doing. Um, yeah. But that, you know, so that's like you're there at such a pivotal time, right? You're there at the absolute peak, which is kind of mid 80s. And then, you know, 86, they win it. You know, you lose a duel to Iowa State. I don't know if that was the year, the year Penn State also got a win at Carver, if that was the following year. No, that was in 1988. Okay. So things are, you know, cracks are showing a little bit, so to speak. And then 87, um, Iowa State wins the first duel. And then is in Carver for the second duel of the year and is about to win three straight duels. And one of the craziest pins at heavyweight. I've, it was a heavyweight? No, that was a Rico Ciparelli pin. That was 87. 88 okay. was when um, Brooke Simpson pinned Volker. That was 88. But in 87, uh, they beat us in, 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 in Ames. And then the last match of the year, uh, um, Rico ended up pinning. They went, we won eighteen to fifteen. Every match was a regular decision except for Rico. Rico pinned the guy, and uh, that was a crazy match. And that's also when Royce and KJ are battling, right? Kevin Jackson, yeah. wrestled Tim Krieger. I used to get beat up by a guy named Stuart Carter. Just for some reason would beat the hell out of me every time he wrestled me. But yeah, those were great, great, uh, great, great matches. And so when when you for, when you got into the room, uh, you, you were injured, you're banged up. Who were some of your workout partners? Like, who are you drilling with, Jim Daly, or what's that like? Well, that's the thing in Iowa. We don't really wrestle someone every day. Drill. Like we'll, we'll go in and pick a guy and actually work out that day. You know, so you wrestle somebody different all the time. But I will say, guys that I wrestled with, I learned a ton from. You know, my brother Jim, obviously. Um, Kevin Dresser, I, I wrestled a lot, and, and you know, Kevin Dresser would. Would you know? It doesn't look like big, strong guy like Marty Kissel or Royce, but he could beat the hell out of you like anybody else. And I learned a ton of wrestling skills wrestling him, wrestling my brother. And then I learned also wrestling guys like Marty Kissel and Royce a little toughness too. They would just maul you every day. You know, so it was either it was a survival of the fittest there. They would just maul. Him. And Royce, Royce was, Royce was. If he smelled blood, you were, you were, you, were, you know, he would just kill you. So <laughs> he had to survive a little bit wrestling those guys. God, what a group of characters. And, you know, every every person I've had on the show, they can point to like one moment, whether it's high school or college, that's a turning point for them that really kind of propelled them. And obviously you had an amazing career at Iowa, two-time All-American and a match away as a senior. What was like a turning point for you early on that said, hey, I, you know, I'm going to be an All-American and potentially national champ for this team? Well, I went there. My goal was to be a four-time national champ. And I always believed in myself. Um I cut a lot of weight when I was a sophomore and junior and wrestled 158 and I probably wasn't the best weight cutter. And I would always get better at the end of the year because my weight was going to control more. Uh, the, way, the rules were different back then. And now I would probably, you know, wrestling 158 then, now I'd probably have to be a 75, 74 pounder, maybe 84. That but, much. Yeah. So I would, I would cut a lot of weight, but so it took me a while to get my weight under control. Once I got my weight under control, I started wrestling better, but I was a big, you know, I just believed in myself and kind of thought I'd now looking back, it's it's kind of hard to say, but you know, almost 
everything's relative. You know, I don't think my career was successful because I didn't do what I wanted to do at Iowa. But um, in most people's eyes, it's pretty good. But um, I still think that I probably could have done better. I still think about that sometimes, honestly. And who did you have to beat out your sophomore year to crack into the lineup? I beat a kid named Mitch Kelly, who was, you know, and I remember this. We wrestled it. We used to do wrestle-offs. We used to go to different high schools in, in, in Iowa to get fan support. You know, we go to wrestle-off, and I think this was Muscatine, Iowa. It's Muscatine High School, and, you know, the gym's packed, and I beat Mitch Kelly, and I'm just happy to make the team. And I'm so happy I made, I won the match, and Mitch is a senior. He's a nice kid. And I remember I walked off the mat, and I'm sitting back underneath the bleachers, and my brother Jim comes and starts fishing at me because he's like, you got to start – you know, if you're going to be on this team, you got to start, you know, you got to be a guy like that worse. You got to do this. You know, and Mitch is one of our good friends still to this day. He's like, and you got to start wrestling better. You got to start scoring more points, this and this and this. I was just happy to win the match, you know. So kind of put it in perspective what, what's expected once you make the varsity team there. And I can't even imagine Jim giving you the business like that. He's such a nice guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, he is sometimes. You get him on a mat, he's not very nice, but yeah. <laughs> So that's cool that you, because I always remember the wrestle-offs. It was like a Saturday before a football game, and I don't even know if they do them anymore, but back then they would go to different high schools like that. We used to do preliminary wrestle-offs in the room, like at coaches' clinics and stuff like that. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when I was when I was in college, we used to go to different different high schools and do the, the main wrestle-offs. And is, when was, I was that? Freshman, when I was a freshman, I had a, I'll never forget this. I had a wrestle-off right. And I had to drive to uh, Council Bluffs, Iowa, which is like a four- or five-hour drive. I remember I drove five hours to get my ass kicked in a wrestle-off, so it wasn't very fun. <laughs> and you probably knew going into that one how that one was going to go, or did you have no, that? I thought I was going to win. Or I hope I was going to win, but I mean, I get my ass kicked, but it was just – Yeah. I mean, it was fun to do, actually, in retrospect. It was fun. It, that's what I love about Gable, though. He's such a promoter. You know, it's like uh, – like, I, I just don't think – like, he, his ability to be a people person and read people, it's so unique because you almost don't – you kind of forget about that now, right? You almost to now it's like the Iowa program is it's very black and white, right? It's, it's this or that way, but there was a lot of gray with Gable, right? There's not a lot of gray with Tom brands. No, Gable was, uh, like you said, he's very good at reading people and he's very good at getting the best out of people. That's what he was so good at. You know, and people ask about Kale Sanderson and Gable, how they're similar or not, you know, and I, I would love to go watch Penn state practice for a week and see what they do. But um, Gable was, I can't see anybody being better getting, getting the best out of people and Gable did just because of the way he read people and the way he, he pushed people's buttons and he would try to find out about the person, what makes you go and he, he would use it. And Barry Davis would say it, it'd be something as simple as like a word or two. He'd walk by you drilling at practice or something, drop a couple of words and just keep on walking. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a God. What a, what a legend. Um, So when you, when you, crack into the lineup 87 and of course that's the year where where brad penler wrestled kelly in the finals and the streak the streak was broken um what was gable like after that that year um you know i think there were some things going in the program that we needed to fix um guys doing things off the off the off the mat um our culture was, was not great we had some guys that you know didn't start that that were just bad for the team um, I think he, he knew that he had to clean that up and uh, step up his recruiting because, you know, my recruiting class and the recruiting class after me, I think out of the two classes, you know, we didn't 
wasn't no, it was, it was the '86 recruiting class. It wasn't only any all Americans. So I think he had to pick up his recruiting, and uh, I think he maybe was resting on his laurels a little bit. You know, in the '80, we ended up we almost won. Um, we lost a real close match to Arizona State, and then '89 um, we didn't do so well. We could start picking up after that. Yeah, and that's why I hate that. You know, Joe C was forced out of Oklahoma State over that uh, that camp incident because man, he was building something special at Oklahoma State, and it would have been fun to see Okie State and Iowa at full power. And we really never got to see that, you know, because Gable's rebuilding, and then '91, where it should have been the showdown, Oklahoma State's already dealing with some of this investigation, and then '92, it's it's yeah. a it's a crapshoot. Um, Joe C was an interesting character because when when I was a senior in high school, I already committed to Iowa, and I signed. And uh, he came to Cleveland um, for whatever reason. I think Ferguson <laughs> bought him for something. And uh, we worked out in Ferguson's basement. Josie. And, uh, what? He goes, you're going to Iowa? I said, yeah. And he said, all right. So we were wrestling. He beat the hell out of me. He goes, I don't see how tough you are. And he beat the hell out of me. I'll, I'll never forget that. <laughs> I was kind of, you know, it was just, he goes, I want to see what we got. And, okay, Joe. And he just kind of put, put it to me pretty good. Wow. And, one thing I'll never forget about the show see. Think about that move now, though, right? I mean, we're seeing what we think is John Smith's successor, Coleman Scott, moving to Okie State. And it's a very thought-out, planned situation, right? An Oklahoma State alum's going to take over. For them to bring in Joe C. from Cal Bakersfield, a non-Oklahoman, is absolute yeah. crazy to consider. It is, but if you look what he did at Cal State Bakersfield, and, uh, you know, he had all those good guys there, the, you know, the Questuses and Joe Gonzalez and guys like that and John Azevedo. He had some studs at Bakersfield, so he was doing a pretty good job there. Yeah. No, no question. It's just like, to me, it's like he's not Oklahoma, an Oklahoma right. guy, you know? Like, they love it out there in Stillwater, yeah, you, know? you know? Um, And Chesbro was coach of the year. Yeah. When, when he got, you know, in 84, so – I know we're going all over the place here, but I just love I love this era uh, of wrestling. It's just a lot of fun. Um, and when you you know when you were finally done at Iowa, what did you want to do with your with your career? Did you want to coach college? Did you want to keep wrestling, or did you know you wanted to come back to St. Ed's? I think every you know I wanted to coach college, and uh, I went and coached in Miami for a year. And that was you know my parents lived. At that time, my parents lived in Cincinnati, so it was pretty close to Miami, Ohio. So I stayed at home and coached there. And um, I liked it there a lot, but just I wasn't making any money, and I needed to get a real job because I was a part-time coach there. So I came back to Iowa, and I got a job. Um, actually, I got a job at the Sheriff's Department in Iowa City. High school there, and wrestling with the Hawkeye Club. And that's when I decided to go back to Cleveland and you know, move on with my life. And before we go back to St. Ed's, I, I don't know how I could forget this. I almost forgot. Uh, actually, this is totally ironic, Coach, but later today I'm having Rob Cole on at noon and okay. uh, at UNC. And yeah, talk talk to us about that 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 Thursday night match with you and, uh, you and Coach Cole there in 87. Yeah, he beat me up pretty good in the duel. And, uh, but I remember walking off the match saying, you know, I could beat this guy. And uh, it was a crazy match, and I – you know, it's, it's a match we needed at the time. I remember because Greg Randall had just lost, who was a returning finalist, and he he uh, tore his hamstring pretty bad. 
And so, uh, you know, this is the 87 tournament, which is going to come down to Iowa State. And, and this is Thursday night or what? What's set the stage for us? Yeah, this is okay. Thursday night. And uh, I just I remember Gable telling me before the match, he goes, we need a hero. And he said that. He goes, you can beat this guy. We need a hero. And I just went out and wrestled. And, and I wrestled pretty good. And, you know, Cole came up, came back later and beat me in the tournament. You know, uh, the match to go for third and fourth, he beat me. I think six to three or something like that, or five to two, something like that. But um, wow, the match Thursday night was crazy. How'd it go? I've never seen it. Well, I put him on his back twice right away. Um, I was up big, like nine, nine nothing. He started coming back, and I think it was like fourteen eight or something. By the time, and then I, uh, at the end, I I got in again and I, I put him on his back and pinned pinned him at the end. It was back and forth. Wow. That's, I didn't know that it had, you see the pin in the bracket and you're thinking, okay, what happened? Was it one move, but you're back and yeah. forth. He's, I mean, and the fact that you put him on his back early, that's the number one seed. The crowd's probably getting into it, right? They're noticing yeah, something's yeah. going on here. I had him on his back twice. I think I was up maybe like 10 to two. And, uh, wow. And he was, you know, he was good, but it just worked out for me that time. And it's crazy because your old uh, your old teammate Joe Silvestro is at UNC at the time, right? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think he's one of Cole's best friends. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, he's a coach in Illinois now, as I'm sure you know, Marmy, you know, Marmy, and one of the one of the powers. But so that's I almost got chills when you said that though. Gable said we need a hero to you before that. That's yeah. Wow, that's exciting. Yeah. And you come off the mat. I'm almost scared to even ask this question. How much did you have to pull that night? I was about 11 over. <laughs> but I was a pretty good sweater. I, that, was about a, that was a good hour and 15 minutes for me. But back then, you could walk off the mat and literally put your plastics on right there. I mean, I walked out the mat. I'm sweating like crazy. Take my singlet up, put my plastics on, and get going. You know, So it's a, you know, it's an hour, hour and a half workout. Was it a weigh-in that night or the next morning? Weigh-in that night. We used to weigh-in the night before, yeah. So how how long did you have to cut the eleven? Would you say? Uh, a couple hours. Yeah, that's a different I, time. Know, I was probably, like I said, an hour and a half, maybe. If I worked hard. Just running or like bike or what? Bike, run, jump rope. I had a little routine I used to do. Jump rope, bike, mostly jump rope and bike. A little bit of running, but you know. You, you had time to recover, but you still wanted to save yourself because he had matches tomorrow. So I didn't want to ruin my legs very much by running all the time. Mm -hmm. But like I said, I could sweat. That's uh, yeah. I mean, I know, of course, cutting still happens. I'm sure it covers on a it happens on a big scale, but nowhere near what it was back then. I no. mean, but you're in the thick of it. You know, coaching one of the best teams. Do you think it's gotten better? I do. I think uh, what I tell our kids all the time now is. is we're not a weight cutting team, we're a wrestling team. So practice shouldn't be about weight cutting. Practice should be about getting better wrestling. If you're worried yeah. that much, worried about your weight, maybe you're going the wrong weight. So, and it's easier said than done because some kids have to, to make our team, especially. Some kids maybe have to cut weight a little bit or go away. They don't want to go. But uh, I think the main focus should be getting better in practice, not cutting weight in practice. It's funny you say that. Bo Nickel was just on a a super popular podcast called the Jocko podcast listened to by millions. And they go deep into his wrestling career and talk about the weight cutting. And he wasn't a big weight cutter at all at Penn state. And 
you know, kind of goes hand in hand to what you're saying. Like he was just focused on getting better every day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it makes it, you know, wrestling is a hard sport as it is when you throw cutting weight and you're not drinking or eating. It's a miserable sport, you know, so try, try to do what you can. Miserable. Now let's talk a little bit about program building and being a head coach. Um, you know, I know that you've been at that program, like I said, since 91. Um, talk about like, you know, how, when you think about a program being that consistent for so long, I immediately think about the youth club. So how involved are you in the youth club and what's the, what's the feeder programs like the St. Ed's? Right now we have a, uh, our big feeder is called, it's called, well, Ferguson ran West Shore Y. Now, now we call our, we call our youth club, the West Shore club. It's not a Y, but it's a club. Um, it's run by a guy named who runs defense. So um, and we have a couple of former wrestlers that actually coach it. You know, uh, so it, our, that's where the majority of our kids come from. And that's that's right now wrestling about four or five days a week. You know, they travel all around. And, you know, we're probably anywhere between 75 to 100 kids in the, in the club. So that's where we get most of our kids from. I, younger, was involved a lot in it, especially when my kid was coming through. Now as I get older, you know, I'm not involved as much probably as I should be. But, um, you know, it's getting tougher for me to – you know, I can't wrestle and be on the mat as much as in my knee and everything else, but you know, mm-hmm. I'm still at beginning of practice. You know, they come in and our practice ends at, you know, 5, 5, 15. They're in the room by 6. So I'll still stick around and say hi to the kids and stuff like that. Um, but we do have a couple like Charlie Agazino and, and uh, you know, Guy Seiko. And then we got some other guys in there that did pretty good. This year, Devin Shorter was in the room for a while too. So, um and they do a pretty good job. They do a really good job. It's cool that it's called the West Shore Club in uh, yeah. in honor of the uh, the original YMCA club. That's cool. Yeah. So you know, if, if there's some in, if there's some young coaches listening, and and I know there are, you know, some guys in their twenties that are just getting started in coaching and they're excited about it. What are some you think are some of like the key things that maybe are often overlooked or or just key values that everyone in the St. Ed's program follows when it comes to coaching and, and mentoring these young guys? Um, for me, a couple of things, one wrestling wise, you know, I talked about Ferguson. We don't show a whole lot of wrestling. We show basic stuff, singles, high crotches, doubles, attack both sides of the body, good basic defense. We're a little bit more diversified on our feet or I mean, on, on the mat where we got kids that, you know, do legs and do other things and, and, you know, we'll work a lot of other things on the bottom side, just to stand up too. but, uh, it's, it's basic wrestling. Um, as far as kids, I never forget what it's like to be a 15, 16 year old kid and, and, you know, what my expectations were and what they are as a coach, maybe you're different as a kid, you know, kids are 16, 17, 15 years old, whatever they are. They got some things that, you know, they got homework, they got girls, they got other things. So you got to realize, um, again, I learned this kind of from Gable is each kid's different, kind of find out what you can do to help a kid. And, and I try to tell the kids there's, there's a two-hour time frame where I want you guys' attention on wrestling only. You know, 3.15 to 5.15, you go to practice. And other than that, be a kid. Mm-hmm. Do the right thing. I don't know if be a kid. You know, don't, don't you know, have fun with, with the high school experience. You only have it once. But you have to put your time in, you know, be serious about, about things here too. And so you have a, a system that <clears> – <throat> a couple things I'm hearing. One – you know, a system that's that's taught and repeated and it's kind of understood by everyone and whatever it is, you know, 
everyone knows the the core skills, but the way you guys teach it, I'm sure is a little bit different. But then also I, I like the theme of like not taking ourselves too seriously. And man, wrestlers have a real problem with that. And even in my personal life and my you know business life, I, I think that once in a while I have to remind myself just to kind of like relax a little bit. And that, that's cool that you're kind of instilling that right away, you know, not to take yourself yeah, well, too uh, seriously. I talk to the kids before practice every day and half the time it's just busting chops, picking a kid out and saying, you know, if he, you know, his hair looks goofy that day or we'll just, we'll just, you know, not, you know, I make sure to do it to the right kid that can take it, you know, and we have a thing we, we call kids, you know, I, I use the term Jack in a box once and the kids all ran with it. So we call it, if you're a Jack in a box, you're being, you know, like a, like a knucklehead kid. So they all, <laughs> they, they, they run with that. So literally the first five, 10 minutes of practice, I'll get the kids kind of loosen up like that. And we'll just kind of sit around and something happened funny on TV or anything. We'll talk about it and get going, you know? It's not, I don't want the kids coming in dreading practice and dreading, my God, coach going to yell at us today. You know, there's a time to get serious and, and get on the kids, and there's a time to, you know, let the kids be kids, you know, mm-hmm. have fun with them. I noticed you guys sent 11, 11 studs out to Fargo this year. What does the freestyle program look like? Or do you have like academies? Like, is there a big academy in Cleveland that's like private and paid? It's, really dominating or is it more local no there's no one that dominates there's 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 a lot of different clubs michael zicky has a club which is close stars you know um we we basically do our own stuff Um, yeah we'll have open mats after school and you know we'll we'll work freestyle Uh, our kids some of our kids go to different clubs but most of our kids just work out right right at st ed's we have the facilities it's you know it's i tell the kids we here three fifteen. You we can work out and you get it done with. You don't have to go home and then drive somewhere else. And you can go home and do your homework and do what do, do what needs to be done with school. You know. Mm-hmm. So we but we do have some kids go to different places all over the city. Yeah. Yeah. No. It's you think about the hotbed of of Cleveland and uh, you know, just Ohio in general. And you know, in Chicago, for example, when I was growing up, there's one or two big academies, but they were also you know, they were expensive. But you know, you had to be able to get there. And so interesting to see that. Um, you know, not interesting, but I guess it's cool that you guys just have that facility. And that's part of the St. Ed's experience is you can come year yeah. round and get good instruction. Yeah. And, and the best thing we have are other kids to work out with. So they can wrestle with their teammates every day. And that's the best thing. You know, it's, it's kind of made as good as is who they get to work out with every day. Mm-hmm. They're not going to get better partners necessarily if they go somewhere else. Right. Well, and you, uh, you know, you look at, you mentioned earlier Penn State. And one thing we hear a lot about the Penn State program is, this this uh, concept of of spar wrestling, play wrestling. Do you guys get into that at all? Or what's your take on when they talk about that? Yeah, we started doing that a little bit. Um, you know, I try to evolve as a coach. You know, it's not. I would say thirty years ago it was all you know, Gable and Pond guys, but it's not like that. And I try to keep the guys as fresh as we can. So we, we you know, that's a hard skill to teach too. By the way, that's sparring, play wrestling. Mm-hmm. Some people think it's it is what, but it's it's really kind of hard to teach for young kids to get. But we, we do, I don't say we do a lot of it, but we do we do do it, yes. I think it's a good way to learn, too, by the way. I think drilling's good, but in my opinion, you learn way more wrestling live and getting positions live, and I think play wrestling helps with that, too. You know, it's interesting. It it kind of reminds me of, like, the more I hear people talk about it, like, you know, I had a, a brother 13 months younger, and, you know, he was a big wrestler, and in our living room, you know, we would just be scrambling around, right? Like passing ankles, throwing legs in. And like, you think about it, like that's probably more along the lines of what they're doing. And 
you know, just kind of like, you know, getting into positions and figuring it out from there. Absolutely. You know, I tell our kids, you're never going to hit a perfect single leg or a perfect high crotch in a match, but you're going to learn position by doing stuff like, you know, wrestling hard. If you, if you wrestle hard in practice, the object is not to get scored on. The object is to score as many points as you can. Because if your object is not to get scored on, you're not going to do anything. Right. So you have to do something to learn. You have to get taken down to learn. Learn how to get taken down and get out. You know what? There's a skill to that, too. Absolutely. Well, well, Coach, it's been awesome to have you on. I want to wind down with three questions here. One of the questions is, you know, wrestling, it seems to be a brotherly sport, right? A lot of brothers wrestle. Obviously, your older brother, amazing head coach at Illinois, Hall of Fame career. What was it like watching him win an NCAA title for the Hawks? Where were you? Talk us through that. Man, he was like a he was my hero growing up. He was always, he was, he was really, I don't think people realize how good he really was. And he took fourth as a true freshman behind Nate Carr and Kenny Monday. And he registered. <laughs> and was, then was in the finals three years. Um, and you can see the final match when he was a senior, he lost to St. Krieger, which a match that never should have been, Krieger should have won, but um, you can watch it on YouTube. But I don't know if people realize how good he really was. And I remember when he won the tournament and, uh, 86, he beat yeah, North Arizona State in the finals by beating him earlier in the year in the Minnesota quad, and he just beat the hell of a guy in the finals. He just was – there was no one that was going to come close to him that, that weekend. He just was on and looked so good. And I remember as a brother of the family, you know, we were so proud of him, what he did. And we knew it. he was a stud since he since he first stepped on the mat in St. Richards, and we kind of knew it was coming. So it was awesome to see. So he lost to the Minnesota – or the Arizona State guy in the duel? Or yeah, beat- we, wrestled him, we wrestled him the first weekend in the Minnesota quad. And uh, this kid Cohen beat him, and uh, but honestly, I wasn't really too worried in the finals. I knew that he was going to he was he was on that tournament. He looked really good that, that whole weekend. In '86 was that Carver, right? Yeah, it was a carving. Lordy, that's a what a what a weekend! And you talk about yeah. his true freshman year, Nate Carden came Monday. <laughs> Come on here. So he lost to uh, he lost to Nate Carden to semis. Um, third time he lost to Nate Carden that year, and then. Um, he came back and he, he actually the guy took third. This guy named Roger Fussell, who's a four time All American, who Jim beat in the duel. And then uh, he forfeited because he had a hip pointer for third and fourth. He made it the third and fourth match. And Gable just said, you know, you've had enough. He was limping around pretty good. So he didn't get a chance to wrestle third and fourth. But, but yeah, was that was an pretty, Oklahoma guy, Fussell? Oklahoma, Roger Fussell. Yeah. That's Jim not- actually beat him. It was the first match ever, Carver Hawkeye. First event ever car sporting event he wrestled oklahoma jim b roger for sale at that match the true freshman now were you going out there to watch those duels or were you just kind of hearing about it from phone you know since you were still in high school yeah we had you know we had nine kids and you know we weren't driving out there every weekend i was wrestling you know my parents were kids and there was no obviously computer we couldn't watch it on the computer so we had to wait around fill out their match and wait till he called us to tell us how he did that's crazy. Wow. Now, you mentioned, uh, you know, all the people who influenced you at Iowa. One guy who we don't hear much about anymore, but I know was crucial for those teams, Coach Zaleski. What kind of relationship did you have with Coach Zaleski during that era? Well, there was Lenny and Jimmy both there. Um, Jimmy was, was uh, Jimmy was I'm only there. Jimmy. You talk about Jimmy? Yeah. So Jimmy was uh, – I wrestled Jimmy a lot when he was getting ready for the world teams like around 86, around that era. Um, used to work out with him a lot. And then he went to Minnesota and was coaching with Jay Robinson for a couple of years. So 
Um, he was gone my, my last two or three years. Oh, that's right. Okay. Um, Lenny was there though. Lenny, Lenny was, was, was pretty good. Lenny was really good as far as technique and, and uh, Lenny's a really good guy. Really funny guy. Well, you know, they, every program, it seems like, right. Like the head guy maybe isn't like the technique guru, but every, yeah. everything you hear about that era is that Zaleski was the, the tech, the technique guy. And before that it was J Rob. Right. But yeah. When I was there, you know, Gable was a technique technician, obviously. Um, Lenny Zaleski was pretty good at it too, though. Yeah. Really good. Barry Davis. And honestly, if I need a technique, I went to my brother, Jim. Yeah. I mean, who better, he, right? He was as good as there was, honestly. Wow. Uh, a technique, especially. Well, coach, last question for you. You name this podcast wrestling changed my life. For you, like if you if you come across a parent, right, and they're at the like first day of St. Ed's in August and they're thinking, hey, I might send my kid out for wrestling, why would you say you would encourage a parent to send their kid out for wrestling? Well, a couple of reasons. One, you know, the brotherhood our kids have, um, you know, they do everything off the mat. Not everything, but, you know, our kids are friends on and off the mat. They hang around together to do different things. It's, it's, a, it's a brotherhood that teaches you discipline, um, hard work. You know, when you have to go out there and the hardest thing when I watch little kids and I tell parents, dads, especially, you know, when their kids in second grade, they're all pissed off. I said, you know what? The second grader went out there by himself with just him and another guy and wrestled. That takes that takes a lot to do that. So it takes a lot to go out there and do it by yourself. You're not blaming anybody else. Anybody else. You know, it's, it's what you're learning. And secondly is, is uh, you know, we got guys all over the Ivy Leagues now. We got seven guys in the Ivy Leagues now. Um, different places it's gonna it's gonna open doors for you we got you know we got a guy princeton is a really good guy really good wrestler smart kid obviously but he might not have gotten princeton but for wrestling so it's gonna open doors for you and use it use it ferguson used to say use the sport don't let the sport use you so uh, we kind of live by that thing that's a ton of guys in the ivies that's crazy yeah wow yeah. you know we have a couple guys at stanford we got you know we've got guys all over the place so it's uh it's pretty cool. And that's what I'm most proud of about the program is where kids are successful after college. We're in college. You know, we had that streak for a long time, but even after college, they're going on being productive citizens and, and doing big things in the world. So that's, that's what I'm really most proud of. You don't have an inside light on the next coach at Stanford, do you, coach? <laughs> I don't. I do not. It'd be Crazy. I hope they keep the program, but. Yeah. No, it's an interesting time right now. I'm excited about Cole going back to UNC. I love uh, that Tony Ramos is still there, Illinois guy. But you know, yeah, I'm worried about Oregon State. You know, they're not in a big conference as of next year, and I think that's going to kill their budget. Um, yeah. But I love what they've been doing. Pendleton's phenomenal. Uh, well, you talked about the Oklahoma State job, but I wouldn't be shocked if he got the Oklahoma State job when it so opens up. He's doing me, a great job out there. Me either. I that I couldn't agree more. But like, you assume when someone leaves as a head coach to become an assistant that. It's like a job in waiting, but you never know, right? It's a very bizarre know. thing. You never, it's a bizarre thing, is right? Yeah, I don't know what's going on. I don't know, I don't know the ins and outs, but name another wait. major He's program. Good job out there. Oh, phenomenal job! Pendleton's great. I mean, the Oklahoma State coaching tree is kind of like Gables in the night. I mean, of course, Gables is still out there, but in the nineties. But um, I mean, name another. Like, how weird would it be for a college football coach at UNC to resign, take an assistant job at his alma mater? Right. You know, that just—it's a very unique situation that uh, we found ourselves in. It's—it's it's crazy. Cole at UNC, though, is exciting. Like that is very exciting for me. Yeah, he's going to do a good job. He really I is. Mean, That's a great, great place, and 
I've never been there, but everything I hear, it's a beautiful place and probably a really nice place to recruit. You got Pennsylvania and Ohio's kind of close, and New Jersey. And it's a pretty, pretty good uh, recruiting area too. Good public school or good. Yeah. Good public school. So yeah, it's a, it's an exciting time. Well, coach, I don't want to keep you too long. Thank you so much for your time. Best of luck this season. And it's been an honor to have you on the show. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for, for doing this. Thanks for listening to this episode of wrestling changed my life. This episode was brought to you by our friends at cause match. They're an online peer to peer crowdfunding platform. And if you're looking to supplement your fundraising efforts, this wrestling season, Go to causematch.com slash wrestling. That's causematch.com slash wrestling. We'll see you next time on a new episode of Wrestling Changed My Life.